audio. Welcome to Doc Talk, a weekly podcast featuring Monument Health physicians addressing medical topics. Tune into your health with Monument Health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. And joining me again is Dr. Andrew Van Osdal, a bariatric surgeon from Spearfish. Uh, glad to have you back, doctor. I think you now hold the record for the most times I've done a podcast with one doctor. You're it. <laughs> All right. I so, should, yeah, you're I like, well, what kind of award do you get for that? Right. Um, we've talked about uh, reflux. We've talked about bariatric surgeries. Um, and now uh, I want to talk with some about something that I think, again, uh, like reflux in one of the other episodes we did with you, everybody will probably experience it. And we've all ended up at some point with a stomach ache, right? And this is kind of your specialty, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I want to talk specifically about three um, acute diagnoses for stomach pain. OK, um, we have all had the, you know, the flu, the, the those sort of things uh, that we all generally hopefully get over and move on. Um, but some can turn into some other more serious conditions that you might not really be associated with your stomach. So let's start. Let's just go down the list of the three that we have here. And let's start with the gallbladder, which I am super uninformed about, really. And I think a lot of people would be. So what first off is it? What does your gallbladder do? Yeah, so the gallbladder is a really, really a fun organ. I love this. <laughs> oh, wait, so, if it's fun, we should all know more about yeah, it then, right? No, we should. <laughs> but you're going to. So now, now you're going to agree Perfect. with me. Perfect. So, so this is a story that starts in the liver. So the liver kind of sits in the right upper part of our belly. And the liver does a lot of different things. But one of the many things it does is it makes a substance called bile. Bile is like a soap. It emulsifies fats in water, or kind of dissolves fats in water, if you remember from high school chemistry. Yeah. It's not a true solution, it's an emulsification. So the bile um, is really, really important because our intestines can't absorb water soluble, or I'm sorry, fat soluble things. They can only absorb water soluble things. So that bile needs to get into our intestinal tract in order for us to absorb fats. And there are certain fat-soluble vitamins that are really important for us, D, E, A, and K. Um, so in order for your body to absorb those things, in order for those to cross that intestinal barrier, uh, bile needs to be in there to emulsify those fats in water, okay? So the, the liver makes the bile. It needs to get into the intestinal tract. So it kind of secretes it into these ducts that come together into one big main duct that then goes down and, and empties into the first part of the small intestine. But we don't need bile all the time. And it's kind of basic. It's a little bit of an irritant. <laughs> kind of basic. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, so there's a little sphincter that's normally closed. So the bile can't get into the intestinal tract. So the bile that gets made by the liver kind of backs up. And hanging off the side of that, that big duct is the gallbladder. So it really just acts as a little storage vesicle. So the bile gets made by the liver, secreted in these ducts, can't get into the intestine, kind of backs up and overflows into the gallbladder. It's like this little balloon that kind of fills up with bile. And then um, when you eat a fatty meal, your stomach senses the fats and it releases hormones that tells the gallbladder to contract and tells that sphincter to relax. So the gallbladder just squirts the bile right into the intestinal tract. It allows you to absorb that fatty meal, and it's just a beautiful system, right? <laughs> Man, no kidding. <laughs> now, the, the flaw in this, in this beautiful system <laughs> is that bile is like honey. It's a super saturated solution. So just like if you leave honey on the shelf too long, it'll start to crystallize, mm -hmm. form little stones. 
And once that process starts, just kind of like honey, it tends to kind of get worse and worse. So, so these crystals will kind of form into stones in our gallbladder. And, and that in and of itself isn't a huge deal. About uh, roughly 40 to 50% of people will actually develop gallstones in their lifetime. Um, but about half of those people, those stones can actually get lodged into the duct, either emptying into the common duct or, or empty, emptying into the intestine itself. And if that stone gets lodged in that duct and stuff can't get through now, when you eat a fatty meal, your stomach senses those fats, tells that sphincter to relax, tells the gallbladder contract, the gallbladder contracts up against that stone, and you get this pain in your gallbladder, uh, kind of usually in the right upper side. You feel okay. it as this intense pain, maybe associated with some nausea. Um, and, and it continues until that stone rolls back out of the way. And... Um, then you feel better. And it might be that now you go eat a fatty meal and you're fine. And in fact, that's kind of a hallmark of gallbladder problems is that they're intermittent. So you might, you know, eat pizza one night and it causes you terrible pain. You eat pizza a week later and you're fine. And you're like, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just bad, you know, maybe that bad yeah. pepperoni or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, but then it'll, it'll kind of slowly get worse with time. So typically with gallbladder problems, they kind of slowly build as time goes by until eventually you, you come in or, or maybe that stone doesn't roll back out of the way and then it can become a much bigger deal. Your pain doesn't get better. And, uh, and that's when you come see me about it. So that, but it, can it feel like it's like a, it's a stomach issue or would you really, would you know that, wait a minute, yeah, it's, it's, that's... it's usually <clears throat> kind of like the upper abdominal, like kind of that, what we we'll call epigastric, kind of right below your sternum that, that, um, or more on that right side, kind of radiates, can radiate down the side and into the back. So, so typically kind of right upper, um, maybe it feels like it's centralized, but it kind of radiates okay. down that right side. So usually, usually something more on the right side is going to be the gallbladder. Is that the most common issues that you see with the gallbladder or are there some other things as it, well? It, it can cause, it can, what we call dyskinesia, which is, um, you know, a combination of words that kind of means poor mobility or painful mobility. Right. Um, so uh, in dyskinesia, for some reason, the gallbladder is not functioning very well. And it, and same thing, though, you eat uh, usually a fatty meal and it hurts um, oftentimes in that right upper side. But it can cause really weird things. I always tell people the gallbladder is the one organ that doesn't read the textbook. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I've had, you know, I had one guy who had night sweat, terrible night sweats. So we're like every night he woke up just his wife couldn't sleep in the same bed in him because he just drenched the sheets. And uh, we ended up figuring out that he had dyskinesia and took out his gallbladder and night sweats went away. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that has night sweats right, yeah, has no, gallbladder course, problems. Exactly, by any means. Right. <laughs> uh, but I'm just kind of saying it, there's some there's some curious uh, probably innervations there that can cause some weird symptoms, too. Now, it seems like is the gallbladder one of those organs that that you can live without, kind of like an appendix, but I'm assuming a little more important, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I, I always tell people that, you know, our bodies are amazing at adapting. Right. So the gallbladder does serve a really kind of fun function, mm -hmm. right? Um, but our body will adapt. And so when we take somebody's gallbladder out, typically what will happen is um, their bile ducts themselves will kind of dilate up. And so now that bile will be stored in the ducts themselves rather than in the gallbladder. And when you eat a fatty meal, you'll still get some bile, kind of that sphincter still relaxes, bile still flows into the intestinal tract, and you're still going to be able to absorb those fats. Now, it takes a little bit of time commonly for the body to adapt. So usually that first kind of month or so, if you if you uh, you know go to McDonald's and eat a bunch of French fries, you're going to get diarrhea where that fat, those fats oh. just run right through you. Um, but as time goes by, your body will adapt and that should get better. And I'll, I'll say this too, rarely, a small percentage of the time, 
it, it doesn't adapt the way it should. And we have to give people medications that kind of help to regulate that system a little bit more. Um, and so if, if there's anybody out there that's had their gallbladder out and they kind of have chronic mm -hmm. diarrhea, especially with fatty foods, um, that, that can be something going on. There are medications that can help. Um, when should they see you? When, when is the point of, of that pain that they're like, that you think, well, okay. I mean, right away, should it be something that you like go to the urgent care for right away or, or emergency room even? Yeah, so uh, gallbladder problems can can come in, you know, like like many things. They can right. be a, a small annoyance, or they can be a life threatening problem. Um, so typically, if it's a pain that's not getting better, if you're having fevers, chills, you know, that's a reason to go into the ER. Um, if it's a pain that's kind of coming and going, and, and but you're noticing it happening more frequently, and it's it's um, it's you're avoiding foods because of it, and it's affecting your quality of life. You know, that's when uh, it's time to make a clinic visit with your regular doctor or, okay. or with one of us. Now we talked uh, a little bit about. Um, I, I brought up the the appendix when it when it's about organs that can be removed, and appendicitis obviously would be the next thing on this list when it comes to this kind of stomach pain. And I think this seems to be outside of maybe the heart, the organ that most people think they know the most about, either because they've had appendicitis and it's been removed, and then you've all heard the stories, you know, uh, true or not, that, well, your appendix is worthless. It doesn't do anything anyway. It's an old adaptation that we can now get rid of, right? I mean, what are your thoughts on the appendix? Yeah, so the appendix is another another fun organ, right? <laughs> I just love the fact that you love these these organs as as much as you do. <laughs> so, so um, we, yeah, we don't know what exactly the appendix does. We still don't, really. Yeah, there's a number of theories out there. Um, we think it has something to do with immune function when you're a little baby and you do kind of grow out of it a little bit. They have there's some really interesting, and I'll, I'll kind of say this off the books because this stuff isn't really isn't right. really proven. I would would say mm -hmm. but it's it's interesting you know they've looked at kind of um, a possible link between people that have their appendix removed and, and dementia and some various ideas about um, kind of gut bacteria you know so probiotics and gut bacteria has been really big lately um, and that's one of the questions is 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 your appendix kind of storing bacteria so when you when you have a you know it's basically your appendix is this little appendage so it's about the size of your pinky really that's all it is your colon okay yeah. and it and it's hollow and so there's stool that's in there and um and so when you get maybe you get the stomach flu and you have bad diarrhea and your colon just gets cleaned out you know <laughs> um now that that appendix is harboring some of those bacteria that you had before that replenishes your colon that's oh. a theory um that'd be a good one yeah, I mean, it was yeah. right i suppose um the question is to what degree that matters mm -hmm. you know so you can replenish your gut bacteria in a lot of different ways um but but those are those are kind of the ideas is maybe that's how your appendix does help you. The, the fact of the matter is, though, that um, as you kind of stated, almost everybody knows somebody that's had their appendix removed yeah. and they don't ever know the difference. Right. OK. <laughs> so and there are certainly times where having your appendix is the right thing to do, you know, so. Um, if, if what can happen is the appendix, like I said, it's this, it's this little appendage about the size of your finger, um, your pinky finger, and there's obviously bacteria in there. They're, they're, they're dividing. There's kind of mucus getting secreted in there. And that's all fine and good as long as that stuff can get out. But if something happens to block the appendix anywhere along that tube, um, maybe that's just swelling because you do have the stomach flu and, mm -hmm. and you, kind of some of those immune cells that are around there that we think, you know, when you're a little baby, they have something to do with it. Those immune cells swell a little bit, or maybe you get like a little piece of food or, or, or a little, we'll call fecalith or poop stone kind of blocking the yeah. appendix. Now that mucus and bacteria can't get out. 
okay and now the appendix will start swelling up like a little balloon we don't we don't we don't localize pain well in our intestine so we feel stretch on our appendix just like you would stretch on your stomach or stretch on your you kind of feel like you have an upset stomach nausea not really hungry that that's kind of the initial signs of appendicitis but eventually that appendix will start to swell up and swell up and it'll start rubbing up against the inside line of the abdominal wall and the inside line of our abdominal wall does have pinpoint sensation and so that's when you start saying i have pain right here kind of that right lower yep. part of your belly um and and it hurts to move walking jumping up and down bumps in the road anything that causes that appendix to jostle up against that peritoneum is going to cause you pain um and and then eventually if you still don't do anything about it the appendix can actually rupture and that's when we see spillage of bacteria into the abdominal cavity and that's a truly life-threatening event actually right a um, couple hundred years ago half of people that got appendicitis actually died from it oh my um, in fact fun fun fact of the day <laughs> the only person that died on the lewis and clark expedition sergeant yoik or, or i'm sorry, sorry Flo floyd sergeant <laughs> floyd um he uh died of appendicitis <laughs> Um, oh my God. And, and so, what a terrible way to go, though, right, too. Right, right. All that pain. So you, think, you think all these guys traveling all the way across the country. And everything that could have gone everything wrong. Everything that could have gone wrong. And this poor guy dies of appendicitis. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there any way to treat appendicitis that isn't removal of the appendix? So there's some, there's some interesting studies being done out there. And actually, COVID has kind of allowed us to progress a little bit in that. Because, really? you know, for a while, we were short on supplies and kind of avoiding the operating room. Um, so there's been studies done with antibiotics. And, and even some now with, with just observations saying, you know, there's some interesting studies done in China where they just observe people with appendicitis. They didn't even give them any antibiotics. <laughs> and actually, probably about half of people will get better, depending on, you know, if we see a big stone in there that's blocking the, you know, if we do a CT scan and see a big stone in there blocking it, they're not going to get better either way. Right. Uh, that, that appendix has to come out. But, but if we don't see that, um, there's about a 50% chance you could treat it with antibiotics. The problem is that um, if we're wrong, yeah. It goes on to perforate. It's a much bigger deal. Um, the other problem is that about half the time it'll come back again within months or years, um, a couple, you know, within a couple months to a couple of years. So typically in this country where we have good access to surgeons and operating rooms, we kind of say, boy, your, your best bet is just get it over there, get it done with. And um, then it's not going to come back. You're, you're just going to recover and it's, it's not going to be. As well, and there's there's obviously a risk with any time you cut into the human body. A absolutely. Um, but is this one of those surgeries that's almost almost yeah, the biggest risk of this surgery is is infection. And okay. really, the biggest risk is we get in there and we find out that the appendix has perforated, has ruptured. And now you've got spillage of that bacteria, and now your risk of infection goes way up. Oh. So really what we're trying to do is is prevent that from happening. Okay, so so like I said, kind of 50-50 chance we treat you with antibiotics and it and it goes on to that mm -hmm. or 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 it gets better. Um, so if it does go on to that, it's a, it's a much bigger deal. So when we get in there in the operating room, if we found that it's already perforated, um, we, we do everything we can to clean it up, but that really increases the risk of infection, of having an abscess cavity and needing a drain and stuff like that. Um, but if we catch it early, we do it laparoscopically, you know, basically three little small incisions. Um, the risk is extremely low. The risk of infection is very you know, it's low enough. We don't even send you home with antibiotics or anything. It's the same day thing. You come in, you go home later the same day. We don't even send you home with antibiotics. Um, so catching it early is really key uh, in this in this whole disease process. So that would be the, it'd be the same as like the gallbladder pain. As soon as you think you have something like that, it's not something you should just say. I'm going to give it a day, see what happens, right? I mean, 
if, if it's acute enough, you would think, just go to the urgent care at least, right? Yeah, that's kind of typically, you know, and the urgent care can screen things pretty easily on this yeah. sense because basically, you know, they'll do some labs and if your labs are all normal, they can pretty confidently say you don't have appendicitis. Um, but if, if they see some abnormalities there, they think it's worth getting a CT scan. You know, basically, if I as a clinician, you know, if you come mm-hmm. in and you have all these kind of classic symptoms of appendicitis and I, I do an exam and I say, well, I think you've got appendicitis. Most studies would say I'm right about 85% of the time. The CT scanner is right about 95% of the time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, that's great. <laughs> so usually that's what it falls back to. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Let's move on to uh, uh, to number three on this list of acute abdominal pain, which would be another thing that lots of people joke about, especially if you have teenagers. You, you will instantly say that they're just giving you ulcers because of the stress and anxiety that they put you under, right? Um what what causes an ulcer to can stress and anxiety cause stuff like that? <laughs> Absolutely. Can it really? Oh, so you can't Absolutely. blame it on your teenagers you perfectly. <laughs> Maybe not entirely. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like like everything, you know, there's lots of factors that can go into yeah. ulcers and and um you know, what you're eating, what you're, what sorts of medications you're on, you know, so things like ibuprofen, aspirin, those NSAID medications, um, those are really things that increase your risk of ulcers. So what, what is an ulcer? I mean, what is the... <sighs> yeah, so so basically your stomach, you know, makes acid. It's got acid in it. That's a good thing. It helps right. your body with when you digest foods and um, it's kind of your body's first line of defense against bacteria. So that acid in your stomach is there for a reason. And, um, but, but that acid is strong enough where it, it would eat through your skin. You know, if you just threw stomach acid on somebody's skin, That's they, would, amazing. they would get a burn, a chemical burn. Yeah. So, um, your, your stomach really needs to protect itself from that acid that it's secreting. So there's kind of a layer of bicarbonate, which is a buffer, uh, that, that surrounds the stomach, coats the stomach and protects it from that acid. But if you, maybe you, um, because of a medication, maybe because of, you know, any number of things, um, you develop an irritation or a sore in your stomach. And you can think of it like a little bit of road rash on your skin. Um, Now, that part of your, that, that, that area isn't able to secrete that bar bicarbonate the way it normally does is that buffer okay so it's not able to protect itself and so that that ulcer bed that skin is being exposed to that acid and um and it hurts typically now the problem is that we're all wired different in this part of our body so some people do feel they'll get this gut ache and they feel like they you know they know they have an ulcer and they take an antacid and it goes away and once that ulcer heals up the stomach's able to protect itself again they can come back off the antacid but but sometimes people don't feel pain that way in their stomach and so they don't know that they have an ulcer and it can actually go on to perforate where it erodes all the way through the stomach and now you're getting spillage of that acid and all those bacteria and stuff into your abdominal cavity and that's an intense pain usually when that happens people know the second it happens (laughs) and they they will come to the er um, but just that kind of, you know, that gnawing, constant stomach pain that can often be an ulcer. And the first thing that I would, I would tell people to do, you know, if you're experiencing that at all, maybe it gets worse when you eat um, spicy foods or something like that, uh, especially if you're taking NSAIDs or aspirin chronically. Um, the other big one is nicotine. So any form of nicotine can really increase your risk of ulcers. You know, try taking uh, like an over-the-counter omeprazole or, or lansoprazole or one of those antacid medications for a couple of weeks. See if that allows your stomach to heal up. And if it if the pain goes away, great. You probably know what it was. So you're so you're talking specifically like stomach ulcers, right? That's what we would right. reference yeah. here. How this is going to be this probably the stupidest question I've ever asked on this podcast. How does 
smoking get into your stomach? So, <laughs> so that's a great question. <laughs> is it? And actually, oh, good. actually, oh, I love God. this question because because this is a pet peeve of mine. All right. So I, I think we've done a great job of of telling people, you know, yeah, tobacco can cause cancer, and we show these pictures of people that like don't have their mouth because cancer right. ate away. As a surgeon. I'll be honest with you, the tobacco is not what I have a problem with. It's the nicotine. And what happens is nicotine causes vasoconstriction. It constricts all of your blood vessels. So it decreases blood flow to your tissue and it makes your tissue weaker. Oh. It, it especially affects certain areas and the stomach is one of those areas. But as a surgeon, I'll just say somebody who's, on, who's using nicotine products, their risk of infection is 10 to 20 times higher than somebody who's not using nicotine. And it doesn't matter if they're vaping, if they're using Nicorette gum or patches or smoking or chewing or whatever, it's the nicotine that's causing the problem. So it's something that I think people really need to be aware of. It doesn't matter what form of nicotine you're using. It's really nicotine that increases the risk of a lot of these things. That makes so much sense. Oh, I'm so glad it wasn't stupid. <laughs> no, it's a great, it's a great question. Uh, so what, uh, when, when, with, with ulcers then, when, when, when do you recommend people go, you know, uh, start to really take it seriously and go to the doctor to get them checked out? Because uh, they can be treated, like you said, over the counter, right, generally? Yeah. Um, what, at what point do they reach where you've got to take more drastic action? In, in general, I'll say, you know, if you're having pain and it's associated with fevers, chills, night sweats, those those are always reasons to seek your doctor, whether that's, you know, pain in your arm or it's it just fevers, chills, night sweats, and, and especially associated with pain anywhere. Those are that's mm -hmm. kind of an easy answer. Go see your doctor or potentially even go to the ER. Yeah. Um, but ulcers in general, if you're kind of just having this like mild gnawing pain that comes and goes and maybe you've taken antacids and it gets better and, and then you come off of them and it comes back, that's a reason to go see your doctor because maybe you have something worse going on or, or maybe it is not being treated well enough and you need to be on medications longer. You have There are bacteria that can cause ulcers called H. pylori um, or, or something else going on that we need to look into. So I'll, oftentimes I'll tell people, you know, if you were my, my mm -hmm. brother or something, you say, hey, I've got this pain in my stomach. It's been there kind of for a week or so I'd say hey try taking an antacid medication give it a week or two and if it's not better let me know if it is better and it comes back right when you come off of it let me know you know those are the things that, that that's kind of how I determine it okay uh again this has been uh, another really fun conversation just because you you made the gallbladder and the appendix uh sound fun and cool so <laughs> that was great uh it's dr andrew van osdahl a uh, bariatric surgeon from spearfish again thank you for coming in doctor and anytime you want to talk about any of this stuff because these are just the most common things that everybody experiences but nobody asks the questions on and, and sometimes they just think Eh, you know, what are you going to do? It happens. But there are reasons to take it seriously, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll just say, you know, when we talk about acute abdominal pain, I mean, there's a ton of things that we could talk about. Sure. Um, but, but the bottom line is, you know, if you're having abdominal pain and it's associated with fevers, chills, night sweats, that sort of stuff, th that's usually when it's time to go seek medical care. Excellent. Again, thank you very much, Dr. Andrew Van Osdahl. It's been fun talking with you. Thank you. Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Home Slice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Hatton, engineered by Chris Jaquis, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry.